Tell us a little bit about what you saw and, and, and being able to relay that message to Cora when you watched Kimbrel pitch and, and kind of help out so he wasn't uh, tipping his pitches. So tipping pitches, we hear about it all the time. People at home understand what tipping pitches is all about. It's amazing. Man. And that's remarkable. Every time when I sit down to start this podcast with you every week and I think about what's a way that I could start this show that isn't just a hypothetical question that you're going to make fun of me for, nothing comes to the top of my mind. So why even pretend anymore? I guess this is just the routine that we're going to live with every week, Alex. Are you ready? Yeah, I like how how meta it's become. Like, you don't even have to ask me the question anymore. We can just start each show talking about how I make fun of you for starting each show with a question. You know, we're just going deeper and deeper down the rabbit hole at this point. I have the podcast starting yips now. And the way that I get through (laughs) my yips, you know how some players have like a hitch in their throat? Well, like talking about starting the podcast with a question. Yeah, I've I've gotten inside your head. I'm sorry. You really have. Okay. The, the question this week isn't hypothetical, though. It's at least real. My question is, was Carlos Correa's celebration cool? <laughs> or was he trying way too hard? Those are the two options. You can only pick one or the other. There's no nuance here. I think that it was extremely cool, honestly. And I think that part of that is because the bar has been lowered so much by people who try to clamp down on these types of celebrations that when a player can bust out that sort of thing, um, it feels like it automatically rises to the level of cool. The, the hand to the ear, I think in particular was pretty revolutionary because you just, you never really see that in baseball. I I mean, it would have, I think it would have, rang a little louder if actually if he was doing it in the opposing team's ballpark, you know, because that would really get the crowd pissed off, right? Um, But that was beautiful. And I tweeted this out from the account, but the the jump shot after a walk-off home run, the the helmet jump shot at the plate might be one of my favorite celebrations in all of baseball. It's just irreverent. It causes your heart to stop for a second. And... uh, and honestly, it's a it's a callback to our favorite segment on this podcast, which is what if baseball was just basketball? So honestly, they're on our side with this one. Honestly, both of those celebrations were what if baseball is just basketball? Because the hands <laughs> yeah. of the ear thing was made famous by none other than Allen Iverson. Yeah. So feels pretty cool to me, honestly. I, I feel like we have such arbitrary standards for who is allowed to do stuff and whether that action then becomes cool. Like if A-Rod did this, it wouldn't be cool because he's corny and we all agree that he's trying too hard. But Carlos Correa is like a little corny and he's probably trying a little too hard. Corny. Here's he's the dude who, <laughs> who proposed to his girlfriend right after the World Series. Like that's that's 11 out of 10 corny. That's what I'm trying to say. So like <laughs> that's I think that's the reason that people were like, uh, I'm not really entirely sure if this is cool. You might be trying a little bit too hard. I mean, uh, my colleague, Michael Bauman, thinks that he's just like trying hard for the gif. That's that's how he describes Carlos Correa. He's always trying for the gif. He, he I guess what Michael Bauman is trying to say is that Carlos Correa is angling really hard to be on the tipping pitches 2020 all gif draft. Yeah. I mean, here's what I'll say is it's working. 
He is he has <laughs> shot up the power rankings in like the last week. So if if that's what he's got to do, then keep it up, my guy. When you're on a team with all these guys, you know Springer, Altuve, Verlander, and Cole with the actual pitches that they throw, and I don't know, even someone like Josh Reddick who is prone to the weird. I feel like you have to try hard to stand out. And maybe that's what Correa is doing. He's like, I'm hitting seventh. He's like, I used to be the face of the franchise. And then I got injured and broke a rib in a weird thing, which we don't need to dive deeper on. So then he's just maybe feeling a little bit, you know, out of the spotlight. And who can blame him? We've all felt this way from time to time. Imagine the wealth of riches that you have to have to be like, yeah, Carlos Correa is the seventh or eighth most entertaining player on this baseball team. And yet, if you put him on any other baseball team right now, he probably is the face of the franchise. Like, Astros fans are so blessed. So blessed. And I hope if there are any Astros fans listening right now that you know just how blessed you are. Truly. Um, Okay, we are going to lean again on someone who is probably smarter about baseball than us. Uh, Coming up in this episode, we are going to talk to Bradford Davis. He's a senior writer over at the Daily News. Uh, He writes about baseball there, and he hosts a podcast at Baseball Prospectus called Five and Dive. Um, And we're just going to get into it about the Yankees. Um, We might even force him to talk a little bit about the boring-ass Cardinals. But before we do that, I'm Bobby Wagner. I'm Alex Baisley. And this is Tipping Pitches. All right, Bobby, uh, we have back-to-back guests in, uh, in two episodes. This is, uh, this is pretty good for us, especially during the playoffs. Uh, we have Bradford Davis, who is a senior sports writer for the New York Daily News. He also does his own podcasting over at Baseball Prospectus. Bradford, thanks for coming on. Yo, thank you for having me. So you started writing for the, the Daily News just back this May, is that correct? Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I I joined full time in uh, like the last day of May. Um, I had written like one freelance piece for that, but like yeah. Um, so I've, I've been a columnist there, a uh, baseball focus. You know, because you call you know my column like a senior MLB guy, whatever. But like I get to you know, but I get to dip in other stuff as well. <laughs> yeah, so, uh, <laughs> titles, cool. titles, titles, titles. <laughs> <laughs> so this, <laughs> this feels like it's a. Um, I mean, it's a pretty big pool to weighed into, I think. I mean, you know, a few months ago you started the daily news and then now here you are covering the the New York Yankees in the postseason. I mean, kind of can you just talk us through kind of what that journey's been like and and what this postseason's been like for you? Yeah, I mean personally the journey is incredible. Like um I, I you know I grew up in Queens man. Uh I was a uh you know Yankees fan as a kid. Like it's cool it's cool to step in, you know uh, you know, to step, st- you know, step into uh, clubhouses with like people I kind of rooted for when I was like, you know, a minor. <laughs> some, some people, you know, <laughs> like, like you know, like Cece Sabathia, like uh, you know, like, like and and then I'm like, Mister Sabathia, can you talk about your cut fat? <laughs> you know, um, <laughs> like, that's, that's how I feel anyway. You know what? Um, what I'm doing? Uh, you know serious objective journalism because you know i would never reduce myself to 
bit of a plebeian fan. <laughs> now, no, 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 I've been a uh, you know credentialed member of the press for all of five months or whatever. <laughs> um, but uh, but yeah, you know that's 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 really dope, man. I'm, I'm honestly I'm I'm so grateful for for, for the uh, for the opportunity. Like, there's not you know I know there's not a whole lot of them, so I'm, I hope they just you know do the best work I can. Um, as far as you know, covering you know this team, of course, is also cool because they're you know they're very good. Um, they're you know they're they're, they're it's fun to watch. A uh, a team that hits lots of home runs and you know strikes out lots of guys in the end of you know in the end the game like that's that's fun aesthetically and uh, yeah man I'm 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 happy to uh, be you know watching them closely as they try and you know go for their next ring. We uh, we love to hear that you're a big CC fan. We uh, a, a while back like the the beginning couple months of this podcast I think we we did a segment where we were like. What if we made a presidential candidate of baseball or a presidential cabinet of baseball players? Was that the segment, Alex? I literally don't even yeah, remember. What yeah, that was. And I think that I think that Curtis Granderson was at the top of the, the ticket. Curtis but, Granderson uh, is absolutely but, but, like that, that man should run for Congress like like now. Yeah. He's presidential yeah. as fuck. Yeah. It's, it's <laughs> it was wild. You know, he he reminds me of like the way like, you know, like like real Obama fans talk about Obama. Like in that, like you know, like like in that, he's like you know, I'm not, not shading them, love it, just but just talk, talking to people who don't really love, inspired by him, or work closely with him, or whatever. Like in that, like he's extremely eloquent, um, and he's also like extremely nerdy about the game. Uh, we end up like, you know, like I, I was yeah. talking, I was asking him about something totally unrelated to, to even him, you know, but he had so much to say, and then we just kind of like went on this ten minute tangent about um. Uh, how how we'd fix the all-star game. This is just like, hey, I love that. Was that, you know, hey. for the game. Where he's just like <laughs> giving me like four different ideas. Like, this is how I would do this, you know. Uh, you know, was, I turned recorder off, so I don't remember exact, you know, the exact things that you mentioned, but like, it was just kind of, you know, like like he, he's a, a wonk, a baseball wonk. And, you know, and also extremely yeah. clear in expressing exactly what he believes, you know, um, in, a, in the most palatable way possible. So that, you know, like it, it's, you know, Congress tomorrow. Fix, fix the country. Curtis Grandison, please. Yeah. <laughs> please, Curtis. Um, so I, before we get into the specifics of the playoffs, the I think the thing that sticks out to me most, and obviously everyone's talked about this, I'm not you know revealing anything new about this Yankee season, but it's like a little bit of a whiplash season. Obviously, there's been a ton of guys who uh, are not necessarily uh, the top of the ticket kind of guys who stepped in and filled huge roles for this team. So as you are covering the playoffs and you think about this season in totality, is it like, how have you had to approach like widening your knowledge base for like 40 guys who seem to have had six war seasons this year, as opposed to just the name, the names that you would have thought you had to prep for, which is the Stantons, the judges, the, uh, the Torres is and that kind of stuff. Well, I mean, you know, it wasn't, that much of a challenge you know in fact honestly it was kind of a cool thing um again working working as a press right because like i uh you know i don't get to travel too often um with um i'm doing you know when i'm doing daily news stuff um and uh and so I, that's where a lot of like you know relationships are built you know when you're in the press like you know it comes from like being on the road because like at home they're not you know they're not in the clubhouses often you know uh pregame especially they're just kind of like you know doing their own thing um, and so, uh, there's just not as much access, but like on, you know, on the road, road is, yeah, that's where they're all there. And so I, you know, have not been able to do that. 
Um, so my strategy has generally been to like talk to like the, the, the presumed like 24th man in the roster and just kind of chat him up, you know, and see like, you know, and, and that, and, and do that generate story ideas and stuff like that. Anyway, as it turned out, every single 24th man, like you said, is a six war <laughs> beast. <laughs> so, so like, oh, this Seriously. guy, you know, Mike Talkman, uh, you know, maybe I'll see him for a week and then <laughs> like, nope, just kidding. You know, here's like four mega clutch home runs he hits, you know, in July. Um, you know, like that's, that's the kind of thing that, uh, happened a lot. So, uh, so, you know, so I guess, so like my approach kind of vibe with like the whole next man up mantra of the team. So there has been a lot of talk, especially, uh, during last night's game, uh, where James Paxton started for the Yankees about tipping pitches and sign stealing. And that's been very big for the brand, <laughs> for our brand. <laughs> um, <laughs> our Google search results are going wild right now. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I, I'm kind of curious your take on this because it feels like we were having, we've had this conversation over the last year or two, whether it's with the, the Astros or the Red Sox about um, sign stealing and especially in the age of technology, talking about ways that teams can really find that edge, especially in these really high leverage tense moments. And at least in my book, it feels very overblown. I think it kind of just seems like teams are doing whatever they can to try and like hit the fastball that they know is coming. Um, but I, I'm kind of curious to, to hear where, what your perspective on, on that is. Well, as far as last night, I really don't think it was, uh, you know, sign stealing or pitch tipping or anything like that. I think the problem was that James Caxon couldn't locate a curveball. You know, you watch that game like, like, and, and he was, you know, he, one of the, one of the reasons why he really succeeded in the second half or, or the last third of the season. Uh, particularly was that he de-emphasized his forcing fastball for his curveball. He started pitching backwards, which is kind of like a Yankees uh, sort of philosophy, you know, like, like a heavy breaking ball team. Um, anyway, so that, that's, that's when he ran off his, you know, his, his, his crazy run and ended up getting like that game one start against the twins, you know, uh, it's because he started using his very effective curveball a lot more often. So if Gabe, so if he's not using his, you know, his like functional number one pitch, um, at this point, like, you know, like he's, you know, against Houston's best, like, nah, he, he, you know, that, that, that he was like, you know, begging to get rocked. Um, and, uh, and so I, I think, I don't really think it was, I really don't think it was a tipping issue. I think if you just watch a game, you see like he's constantly missing his target. Now, generally speaking though, um, you know, the Astros are kind of known for, uh, seeking whatever edge necessary to, uh, you know, <laughs> to win a game. And we, you know, we, we've, we've seen, you know, people, uh, whisper or shout or tweet <laughs> their, their, uh, beliefs about what the Astros are doing. Um, I, w- you know, um, I, I, uh, I saw it, you know, I think John boy, the, uh, you know, the unofficial Yankees video clip man, uh, like try and, you know, put something together, you know, but the fact is the fact that like so many people think like, Oh wow. The Astros are doing well. What are they, <laughs> what, you know, what's really going on? <laughs> I think says something to a, to their reputation that's not totally undeserved, you know, um, not the individual players per se, but like, you know, but more like the organizational philosophy, you know, philosophy, which is like, you know, when any costs. Um, I, I just think like the just incessant conversation about the morality of science stealing is getting a little exhausting for me personally, because it's just like, if you played baseball before, 
you know that you had two to four guys on your team who, if they got on second base, they were doing everything in their power to steal signs. And I guess there's like something to be said for the technology aspect of it, the high powered machine aspect of it. But to me, it's just like change your signs more. Don't get them stolen. You know, if you have to do if you have to do Chip Kelly signs of squirrels on the sideline or whatever, you got to do that just because like the Astros are obviously a very intelligent organization who is willing to go to those lengths. They obviously they 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 have pride in acquiring guys who think the game as well. So I, I just like sign stealing is good because it's like it proves that baseball is one of the most thoughtful and intelligent games that you can possibly play. It's just game theory over and over again. And if you can get an edge in game theory, then you should. Right. No, yeah, Bobby, I, I agree with that, man. I mean, I think uh, it's like, you know, it's gamesmanship, you know. And so, uh, like, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not I, I certainly don't, don't intend to be like pontificating about like, you know, <laughs> about everything, everything the Ashes do or don't do, which, you know, but, but, uh, but just that, uh, like, you know, they're, they're known for to find the extra 2% on top of 2%, whether it's legal or, you know, or, sure. uh, or, or frowned upon or whatever. I wanted to ask a little bit about, uh, the bullpenning and just how loud that conversation feels right now. So for you as someone who's covering about it, who's writing about it, who's trying to get quotes about it, like one, how do you try to approach it from a different angle than just the Twitter conversation? And two, is it a real concern for the Yankees as a team that they are relying heavily on a number of guys who at any point, one of them could not have his best stuff or one of them could get more tired than he's anticipating being mid October. Um, like, you know, where are you at on that story now that we're kind of like at a at a nice resting point? You know, we're recording this on a Monday evening. The Yankees and Astros have off. They come back tomorrow. We'll kind of see how that bullpen looks as we head towards another bullpen game for that team. Like, where are you at covering that? And then where do you think the Yankees are at organizationally there? Yeah, well, uh, first, let, let me not presume myself to be above a Twitter conversation. <laughs> I am very much someone who loves the Colts. Same here, same here. <laughs> oh, <man. laughs> and, uh, I, you know, I, I am not that sophisticated. It's not that deep. You know, I, I will tweet along with the rest of y'all about, like, you know, what's going on with the game. Um, but, uh, yeah, no, I mean, like, look, it's, it's clear that the Yankees um, believe in it because they did it a lot this year. Um, Chad Green was, uh, Chad Green basically did like a fusion dance with, uh, for, for Dragon Ball Z heads out there with, uh, this, uh, you know, a guy named Nestor Cortez Jr. Um, you know, to, and, and they forge an effective, like, you know, number, you know, four or five starter, you know, for a good three months by just having Green go one or two innings and then Cortez, you know, the rest, because the Yankees starting rotation was quite weak you know, for, for much of the season and is arguably still, you know, you know, on the weak side, I, th- I think that they've, um, that they're peak, that they're, their best guys are peaking or peaking towards the end of the year, but you know, yeah. but still, you know, but still they're, they're going into game four, <laughs> you know, um, with, with the strong excitation, weather permitting that they're, that they will throw a bunch of relievers out there. Um, you know, it, it's funny. Um, AJ Hinge actually today said, uh, you know, like really uh, advocated for the strategy of bullpenning because he plans to also do that. And he says like, you know, it's proven effective. It works. Um, you know, lots of teams have done this, you know, to optimize their, optimize their staffs. Um, now, as far as like, you know, the strategy of this series, I am a little concerned for the, you know, on, on behalf of the Yankees more 
because they uh, just had not a not a, not a not a um, planned bullpen game, but certainly a functional one. You know, they 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 had to get like basically nine innings, or not you know, um, or eight or eight eight plus, you know, from all the relievers. And, uh, and, you know, and they, and they really pitching did very good job, but like, you know, but then there is, you know, there's, there's often just, you know, there's, there's that one guy who doesn't have it that, that happens to be Adam Adovino at the moment. And that really, uh, you know, jacked them up. Um, you know, aesthetically, like just dumping all, all my bullpen thoughts you know, on you. Like I, 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 I you know, I, I prefer watching, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm more like John Smoltz than, uh, <laughs> I think, of, I, I, you know, <laughs> I like aces going at it. You know, I think it's kind of dope when it's like, you know, 1991 Jack Morris, John Smoltz kind of stuff. Like, or, you know, or for, or for my childhood, Andy Pettit versus John Smoltz in game five of the 96 series. Like that stuff is like, it, you know, that stuff is cool to me watching, you know, six different dudes come in and out and all the commercial breaks and watching the Charmin bear wipe his butt over and over again. Like that is, that is, <laughs> that is less dope to me, um, as a fan. Uh, and so like, I would, you know, I would rather, uh, you know, I, I would rather that, but like, you know, but, uh, but Aaron Boone, and AJ Hinches and Yankees and Astros respective organizations, the job is not to do the most aesthetically pleasing job. That's more for MLB and the commissioner's office to make the best version of baseball. Theirs is just to win, win tomorrow and then win, win the next day and then win the next day until they went to the world series. So that's, uh, so, you know, so I, I think, I think they're right. It's the right call with what they have i think it's uh, just a genuinely brave thing for you to do to come on this podcast and say the sentence i'm more on the john smoltz side of things just a, <laughs> a true hero among us you know after he's been getting bashed on twitter the way he has for his announcing <laughs> oh, oh, oh i mean listen it's you know look as far as like being a color commentator you don't need to constantly remember you know the old the days <laughs> <laughs> like, like you know you know you're not a buzzfeed quiz you can talk about new <laughs> things um one of the reasons not frankly I, I love uh you know as, as i think every extremely online baseball fan who's familiar with david Cohn, you know um as an announcer now like you know really likes what david Cohn does because he, he's you know um he was there most <laughs> is there but he still values cool things about the new game you know about the game currently so, um, so, you know, so it's, it's one thing to be like to belabor the point over and over again while, while doing color, color work in, you know, freaking middle October. Um, just like, you know, and to tell us to talk about the game as it is, you know, a little bit more. Um, but, you know, but, but I think, but I think there's a, there's a legitimate point to be had about like, you know, about like, I think, I think the beauty of like, you know, Ben Lindbergh actually made this point, um, in the ringer about like star power, you know, being concentrated in like how in the outsized impact of a starter, you know, um, we don't attach ourselves to the Tommy Kane lanes the same way we attach ourselves ourselves to the Justin Verlanders, you know, there's, there's a, there's a, you know, that kind of like hero riding in his horse to sit, you know, to, uh, you know, and being the horse, like, you know, there, there, there's, there's something, I think there's something cool to that. And, uh, you know, I hope that, uh, I hope that that isn't like, uh, that is, preserved to some degree you know um and i don't know i don't know exactly legislative yeah. fix from on high but like you know but I, but I hope that it's i hope that people realize that that that, it, that there is importance to that and that it can you know can just just be one one you know way in the margins to help keep you know help keep people hooked to the game that we all love yeah well it is kind of interesting seeing how much the strategy changes in the postseason from the regular season i mean it seems to do that i think more than the other major 
sports, right? I mean, like the, the concept of having a, a bullpen game, which in the regular season might be reserved for, um, a, a game that you don't need to win or where you, um, you ran your starter out the, the day before and you can kind of uh, afford to do this. Um, but in game four, potentially a, a must win game for either team for them to both kind of say, yeah, we'll just run our bullpens out there is just fascinating to me. And I think it's something that we've experienced over the last few postseasons of seeing how much that strategy really just is turned on its head because you are afforded the additional off day or two. And, and I wonder how that changes the way that we as fans kind of engage with the game, especially newer fans who maybe, maybe don't, um, don't have as close of a relationship to the teams or whatever. Um, and you see, like you were saying, you see these, uh, pitching changes every other inning and, and you're kind of like, is this, is this what it's always like? Is this, so you're telling me Garrett Cole doesn't go out there and mow down 12 batters every single day? And you know what? Yes, he yeah, does. He does do that. Honestly, that's a fair point. That's uh, actually uh, Emma. Um, I'm, so, I'm so sorry, Emma, because we do a podcast together. But Bacularity, I want to say. Bacularity. Former Tipping Pitches guest, Emma Bachelary. Um, God damn it, Emma. I'm sorry. But anyway. But yeah, but she but actually wrote a really you know compelling article about how like basically everyone is trying to preserve the version of baseball that they fell in love with when they were like eleven, <laughs> and um, and yeah. Yeah, I, I think I think that's you know nice. I think that's fair. I think that's that's fair pushback like about like you know what you know, you are going to defend to the death whatever you know really grabbed you in the first place. Um, you know, I I wouldn't say that is you know that necessarily like um, refutes. You know what I'm saying? I think you know. I I think if you just look 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 just across like the NBA, the way that there's not you know, that uh, there's a sort of a progressive ethos to like what is how do you know what is the best form of basketball and how do we incentivize that? You know, um, and 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 constantly trying to work towards that. And so like you know, I think it's fair to say that there are you know that that there are cool you know there are cool things about baseball, but one of them is not commercial breaks over and over again. You know. Like that's 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 that is that yeah. is less cool than uh than Justin Verlander. Definitely. I mean, I am very much of that mindset that you kind of alluded to that Ben has shared on several occasions. Just that the starter right. is kind of like the protagonist of the story, and it's like you can't if you believe that. And the entire history of baseball is that. Well, like you know, the story structure doesn't really change because that's just kind of what we all know and believe and kind of feel like. Um. All right, all right. Shall we transition a little bit to the NL? Do you want to talk about the game? I mean, the get, there's a game going on right now. So, like I said, Monday night, um, we're recording this right in the middle of Game Three. Um, but I did have a couple questions that I wanted to ask, just as it relates to the Cardinals and Nationals. So, I, I have to admit, like, I feel a little robbed having to watch the Cards here instead of the Braves. Or I guess the Dodgers, even though we got the Nationals Dodgers series already. Um, is there a specific reason for me to get excited about this Cardinals team? Number one. And number two, like, how do we bounce back from the fact that like our superstars might not always make it to the highest stage? Like, for example, I would have loved to have seen Acuna in the NLCS, but it doesn't seem like that is in the cards. Um no pun intended. <laughs> <laughs> uh so what should I love about the Cardinals and what 
what part of watching them in the NLCS should replace the hole in my heart that is Ronald Acuna shaped? <laughs> <laughs> Shoot. Uh, man, uh, do you like hitting? Well, sorry. <laughs> that idea is not real. Um, do you like uh, do you like relief pitchers having emotional breakdowns <laughs> in critical moments? <laughs> then you should absolutely be glued towards <laughs> glued to the uh, you know latter latter innings of uh, any Cardinals game. I guess honestly, man, I, I don't got much for you, man. Um, I I would be cool to see them hit, but you know, call Paul Wilshmit tends to be a great player. He had a down year, but like you know. Um, you know, they got, they have some, yeah, they have some real, they have some studs there, but, uh, but, uh, and, and I say this with ignorance because as y'all know, I came home just recently from, from Yankee stadium. So I haven't even tuned into the game three yet. Um, but, uh, at least from like my Twitter feed, it seems like Steven Strasburg has, uh, is just doing what everyone else has done to the Cardinals since game one of the series. Yep. Pretty much. Yeah. He's, uh, He's been so incredible in the playoffs, which makes uh, it just like lines up so neatly with the narrative of they kept him out of that first playoffs run that they could have been in. You know, like the 20, I think it was 2012 was his rookie year and they had the innings limit because he had the TJ. And I just always find it funny how like we talked last week on this podcast about just like the confluence of narratives that's going on in the National League right now with the Kershaw thing you know, Bryce Harper leaving the Nationals and them advancing for the first time in franchise history. And now, like, Strasburg being incredible in the playoffs in, like, really the first real opportunity he's had to shine beyond the first round since they shut him down. It's just so weird how that tends to work out. At least anecdotally, it feels like that's a very strange thing that's that these narratives are just... You just keep getting bashed over and over again with them on the Nationals front. As someone who's like, you know, an inactive participant and as like more of a viewer of the series, it's like, you know, I have no emotional like investment in either narrative. So it's like fun to watch like chaos unfold. <laughs> like, uh, I, like, you know, I, I think I had a, I, po- I posted, excuse me for touting my own tweets, but I, <laughs> no, I please do. We do it all the time here. <laughs> Literally all the time. <laughs> oh, great. So I fit in perfectly with people. Um, <laughs> no, uh, so I had a tweet where, where I just posted screenshots of um, of my draft folder. One of them being you can't out nationals and nationals, and the other one being <laughs> you count out you can't out Kershaw Kershaw. And, just, you know, <laughs> and, and, uh, and that being like my life, I'm just I just got this in the chamber, ready to fire it, <laughs> depending on the outcome of Game Five. And, Scheduled uh, you know, tweet, right? Yeah, exactly. It's yeah. a choose your own adventure yeah, of the MLB playoffs. <laughs> exactly. So, um, you know, so I so I, I I'm enjoying you know, uh, narratives being forged or crumbled or both, you know, um, I'm happy for Washington, man. I mean, it's cool. It's cool to finally see them, you know, break through. Like it's always cool when a team, you know, honestly, when a team, when a team breaks through after a very long time. Um, and, uh, you know, they have a lot of really likable dudes, you know, the Sotos and, you know, um, I like Michael A. A. Taylor always looking bewildered, like a doe. (laughs) I know. He's literally like 14 years old. Exactly how I would look on that stage. I mean, he's arguably the most relatable player to me on the field at that point. Except for the fact that he can actually do baseball things and I would just like <laughs> drop every pop-up, you know? <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah no, I would have lost the game because I would have just like dropped it and, or, or, or been 20 feet away from catching. <laughs> it wouldn't even been registered as an error because I would have just yeah. been like on the warning track still. <laughs> yeah. Um, 
All right. Before we let you go, we uh, we talked a bit at the top of this podcast, Bobby and I did, about the, the Carlos Correa home run and subsequent celebration last night. And so I wanted to to flip that question and pose it to you. Get your your instant reacts on the on the hand to the ear, the jump shot at the plate, and uh, and talk about any big moment home run celebrations that aesthetically just bring you like the most joy in the world. Well, shoot, that one is up there, man. Like that was immediately iconic. Like like when and his Hall of Fame reel. Like well, we. we you know, like that has to leave, you know, like until <laughs> further notice. Um, I, I love it. It was, it was so natural too, man. Like, you know, it, it was just, just the, 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 the drip, the finesse about every, about, about, uh, every frame, every, every frame, you know, um, there, I Honestly. think there are a lot of dudes who bad flip. We would try a little too hard now. Like, they're like, oh man, that will be wants us to play loud. Yeah. So, okay. Uh, you know, Shots fired. So I like it. I like so, it. So, 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 it's a little mechanical. You know, um, for Carlos, it was not. Um, I mean, I, th- I think the, the the king of this stuff is Tim Anderson um, over in uh, Chicago, or at least, at least just in the current game right now. Like, you know, obviously he does not play you know a lot of meaningful game, meaningful games. Given the White Sox are not very good, but but he is he has become good himself, and uh, and so he gets to do that a lot, and that's pretty cool. Um, kind of, these are all kind of like I guess easy answers, right? But the you know the Bautista whip from twenty fifteen. You know, yeah. That, 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 where that, was where was we play loud when we needed it? Then you know, yeah, well, <laughs> it was playing very very loud, and there yeah. was a, some adverse reactions there. Yeah, that, yeah, that was when the tagline was "Shut up, brown people." <laughs> and so, uh, you know, I'm so I'm glad that they have made an incremental <laughs> change, at least at least in yeah. the marketing side, not not you know not in the actual uh, culture of <laughs> of the game. But um, but you know, but uh, I'm ha- I'm happy. Uh, you know, but Joey justice for Jose Bautista, but yeah, I think it's always funny how when you watch, uh, like you watch Mike Trout hit a home run sometimes, and he he like doesn't know that it's going out yet, and so he's like rushing out of the box, and sometimes he accidentally like tosses his bat a little further than usual, and there's always like five or six people on Twitter, and Alex and I have been as guilty of this as anyone, where they're like, this is as close as Mike Trout will ever get to a bat flip, you know? <laughs> yes. Mike, if you're listening, please play the game the wrong way for us. <laughs> just you. launch that bet. Can you imagine if Mike Trout just like Mike Trout was like 2020 is the year. I just signed literally a half a billion dollar contract last year. Yeah, I'm just going to get wild with it. Yeah, <laughs> he's, he's got like, nothing he throws to lose his at bet. this point. <laughs> he throws his bet towards the opposing team's dugout as far as he can. I think that would do swell things for the game. I oh, think. please. Like every intentional walk. There's not even four pitches anymore. It's just one. Just like <laughs> I know. Just whip it twenty. Mike Trout. Go on. Mike Trout. Spend the summer studying KBO bat flips challenge. Ah, <laughs> let's go. Yes. I, th- I, th- I think in I think in 2020, I'd like to see uh, I'd like to see an evolution beyond the the bat flip. I'd, I I that's why I loved the Correa hand to the ear. You know, it was yeah. like it was incredibly cocky, but it was like he was looking towards his dugout when he did it, and so you can't even really argue that he's showing anyone up there. And it was just it was engaging in such a different and aesthetically pleasing way. I just. 
you know, like the, like the, the, the groundwork has been laid and now let's, you know, let's see some more interpretive dances up there on the way down to first base. Seriously. Make it like NFL touchdown celebrations. Exactly. And, and you know, it's, it's cool. like, and, and I, I would have no problem if you showed up the Yankees, you know, um, <laughs> by, you know, by just, in, 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 you know, intentionally insulting them like a, like a wrestling heel, but like that wasn't <laughs> what that was at all. Like, you know, he was just playing to the crowd, man. Like, you Definitely. know, like, like he was feeling the energy and, uh, and, 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 uh, and totally ricocheting off of the energy of the crowd and the crowd was, you know, was off him. Like, I, I wish I, I could have been like for just one night an Astros fan, like, you yeah. know, like, 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 like watching, you know, and, and just being there, I, I would have, you know, lost my damn mind. Like, so uh, I was already, I was almost already doing that from like my couch. So I can only imagine, uh, you know, actually have to, again, having that emotional investment in Carl's career success, success. In a way though, like, you know, Tim Anderson is one of those people that's innovating a little bit. You know, we've had the bat tosses, we've had the bat flips, you know, but Tim Anderson went for the bat like throw. He just grabbed it by the, <laughs> the barrel yeah. with his palm and just chucked it. So maybe that's a next step. So maybe we've started down the path of iterating on the bat flip as the foundation. And maybe in the next five to 10 years, we're going to get something truly that we could not imagine at this point in 2019. We can only cross our fingers and hope. Uh, all right. Well, Bradford, thank you so much for uh, for spending the evening with us talking about Yankees baseball and uh, and the bat flips that we aspire to. Uh, is there anything before we let you go? Where can people find your work? Is there anything that you want to plug? Yeah, I mean, um, you know, you just, just you could always find my byline at the New York Daily News these days. You can check my podcast Five and Dive, which I host with Craig Goldstein. Um, and, uh, you know, like I, I and, and, oh, oh sorry, no, sorry. <laughs> I'm about you, Larry. Um, you know, we, um, <laughs> uh, you know, uh, things I'm working on are new tweets of varying quality. Um, I have the, I have the worst handle because it starts with <laughs> underscore, but my, but it is underscore B E W I L L Y B Willie. So underscore B Willie. Um, and, uh, you know, I'm here. Um, I'm post, I'm tweeting through it. And, uh, <laughs> as and, we and all I'm, are. I'm I'm laughing along with you and, uh, and just, you know, I hope, I hope, uh, I hope this is a great series and I hope that, uh, you know, every, uh, every player with a, you know, with a contract on the line gets rewarded handsomely, uh, sure. for the great, play, the great play they're doing. So, yeah. Well put. Hell yeah. Thank you so much for joining us. Go check out his work, everyone. We really appreciate it, Bradford. All right. Thank you guys. Now you want to give it all up for another guy. All right. Thank you again to Bradford. Um, this might become a habit of ours, Alex. We might just have to rely on people to do better at talking about baseball than us. Because as you said to me before we started recording this podcast today, it's hard. It's it's easy to watch baseball in the playoffs, right? It's kind of hard to talk about it because you're just like, so you guys saw the game and all you want to talk about is the game. So why don't you listen to us talk about it? Like, I don't, I don't know. It doesn't always work out for the best segments, but we're trying our best here. This is, this is incredible. Like, I don't know why we don't have someone on just every podcast. I mean, at this point, I guess we're just, we're just adding a third host, but like, wow, it's like 33% of the weight has been lifted off of my shoulders. You know, listen, it's hard enough to coordinate around our two schedules, but adding a third person potentially in a third time zone, maybe, I don't know. 
<laughs> Luckily, we've never had someone who's like in central time and is like, I'm eating dinner right now, you know? Yeah. Um, okay. Time to do three up, three down and get out of here. We're going to try to keep this episode a little shorter than last week. Uh, Alex, why don't you kick us off this week? Three up, three down. Tell me what's coming off your list. Coming off my list first, Zach Greinke and his incredibly abbreviated press conference. He will also spend an abbreviated time on my list, and uh, and uh, he didn't do uh, didn't do so well last time out. So uh, so it was fine. <laughs> I heard when he was pitching, one of the announcers, I don't even remember who it was because everyone's voice just kind of merges into one. I'm at the point where I've actually turned the broadcast back on because I feel like sometimes they say things that I feel like I need to know. Yeah. But uh, one of the announcers said that the trade for Zach Greinke was, quote, an insurance policy for if Garrett Cole walks, which like, okay. Jesus. On one hand, where are you uh, buying your insurance, dude? Yeah, I was going to say, like, <laughs> on one hand. I guess in the most literal sense possible, like he will be a pitcher and a right-handed one who will go every fifth day in case they don't have Garrett Cole to go every fifth day. But um, I don't know. That's not really how insurance works. Usually they insure you for like the full price of the thing. Yeah. And, right. Uh, <laughs> I love Zach Greinke, but at this point in his career, he's not the full, the full Garrett Cole. It's like, that's like saying, well, uh, well, I'm not going to buy actual car insurance, but you know, if my if my car breaks down, at least I have some duct tape and that'll basically get the job done. Or my insurance company will give me a bicycle. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, what's next off your list? Next off my list is uh is my my rambling thoughts on Vin Scully and Joe Davis and baseball announcers. You definitely took this off your list like a week ago, but I'm going to let it slide. No way. Did I really? I think I'm, so. I'm having trouble. I think that like all my three up, three downs are just like spread across notes across my, uh, across my computer. I don't know where any of them are at this point, but um, all right. Well, I appreciate you letting me take that off my list. I I will have some more broadcaster thoughts coming oh, up shortly, but I won't, you I won't, and me uh, both, friend. <laughs> I won't tip my pitches too much. Hey. Um, uh, you like the reference? Uh, last off my Never list. Never heard of it. <laughs> last off my list is uh, Grandy on TBS. Once again, not because I, I I'm not necessarily thinking about him, but I feel like we have much bigger fish to fry in the broadcast booth. So, sure. uh, so you know what he's he's been he's been fine. I heard him among one of the like five or six voices prior to this Cardinals Nationals game tonight. So you know. Good, good for him for being there. Here's a little sidebar. I was uh, putting off, I was procrastinating doing work this weekend. And uh, so I was doing Sporkle quizzes. You ever do Sporkle? I do. In fact, when we were running a college paper together, I think that we, we did a Sporkle quiz or two. Yeah. Or 200,000. <laughs> uh, <laughs> waiting for, waiting for the good old freshman to turn in their volleyball recaps. Anyway, um, I was doing a Sporkle quiz about uh, it was the Mets seasons with 30 plus home runs. So like since franchise history, every player who's hit 30 plus home runs in a single season for the Mets. And it gave you uh, the year and the number of home runs. And there was a 2015 and a 2016 that I missed. And it was my beloved Curtis Granderson. He's been on like <laughs> literally so many teams 
since the Mets that I guess I just forgot that he did that for the Mets on the team that literally went to the World Series. It's, it was tough. <laughs> it was tough for me. I felt pretty, pretty bad. Yeah. We don't accept any Curtis Granderson slander or, or revisionist history on this podcast. He's the, he's the number one baseball boy in our hearts. That's for sure. He actually is. What's coming off your list this week? Off my list this week is The Chop because it's out. It's done. Goodbye, yeah, Braves. See you next Toss season it. where I hope that you will not have The Chop anymore. Um, second off my list is uh, The Rays. I put them on this list uh, a couple weeks ago and uh, on the basis of I was frustrated over the fact that it feels like they always find a way to play this plucky underdog over the fact that they don't have as much money to spend as the bigger teams. And um, I was just kind of fed up with that. So I'm taking them off my list this week because they've been out of the playoffs for a while. And it, now we're finally getting that heavyweight matchup, so to speak, first to slip into radio talk, the heavyweight matchup of the two favorites in the American League. You know, I sound like the bumper between commercials at, at Fox. But um, third off my list is... Uh, a, a while back, I put on uh, the fact that Fernando Tatis Jr. and Pete Alonso got to have their full rookie seasons and how gratifying that was as fans who just want teams to put the best product on the field, no matter whether it's going to affect their bottom line a little bit or not. And so I put them on my list and their full seasons and how glorious they were. Um, but it's been a it's been a minute, as they say, since I had to think about either of those players unfortunately, because they would be delightful to watch in the playoffs. Hopefully 2020 brings playoff seasons for both the Padres and my beloved New York Mets. Um, okay, what is coming onto your list this week? Coming onto my list this week is, is something that I think I've been thinking about kind of over the last couple weeks. And it mostly has to do with the experience of, of watching postseason baseball and its accessibility to viewers because to me it feels very cumbersome to try and watch and i don't know how to how to um explain that more but games have now been broadcast on three different channels i believe over the course of the postseason and the the respective apps that you can watch these games on are incredibly difficult to last night. I, I went to watch the, uh, the Astros Yankees game on my phone because I didn't have my computer in front of me. And so I downloaded the Fox sports go app where you stream the game. And when I clicked on the Astros Yankees game, it told me that I had to, <laughs> I had to go and download another app, the Fox sports <laughs> app, <laughs> <laughs> and sign in there to be able to watch the baseball game. And in the in the grand scheme of things, it's a very small problem, but I I had to log in using a cable provider. Thanks dad for providing that to me. Shout and out Michael Paisley. <laughs> and I, it has just gotten me thinking about the process of watching postseason baseball and how it feels really inaccessible i think to a large swath of the of the country especially at a time when baseball is maybe struggling to attract younger viewers for example none of the mlb network 
games you could actually watch through the MLB TV app, right? And it feels like we're moving towards a period where everything is very segmented and split up and it's really just impossible to just sit down and turn on your TV and watch the game. And I don't know if that makes sense, what I'm saying, but it's just kind of been something that I've been thinking about a lot. It it uh, it feels very counterintuitive, I think. We want to know what's like a really good model is March Madness, right? Like it's crazy how many TV channels March Madness is on. But there is a March Madness app that you can put on your phone that every year I am shocked at how well it works. You can just click on whatever game they play one 30 second ad at the beginning and then they give you the commercials that are on the whatever cable network it would be playing on. And granted, you do have to sign in with your cable provider, I guess. But like that is that is the current economy of watching things in 2019 and I think we're moving away from that a little bit with things like MLB TV. But you're right. I, I never really understood why you would be able to watch any game instantly rotate back and forth between games all year. And then the playoffs roll around and like bigger money is involved. So you can't watch it on the thing that you paid hundreds of dollars for all year. It just feels like you said, I think counterintuitive. I'm waiting for the day. And I, I hate to say this because like, uh, big business monopolies of of social media networks are not good for this country or the world at large. But I'm waiting for the day that I can just like open Twitter and just scroll one tab over and like, nope, there's the playoff baseball game. I think yeah. I've finally come around on that idea because <laughs> the word that you're using that I think is important here is accessible and accessible for younger people. Like maybe younger people are not necessarily on Twitter anymore like we might be the youngest generation of people on Twitter let that sink in for a second but um, or, or that are like primarily going to Twitter for whatever they're watching but it doesn't have to be just Twitter it can be you know it can be Instagram TV or I guess Facebook are you, are you pro fa- Facebook baseball games now is that what you're telling uh, me <laughs> if you can log in with like with just a free account I guess I am pro that because it's the way that most people can see it, right? Like, I think they do a bad job of the Facebook game. And I think it's awkwardly promoted. And just generally, I don't think Facebook is very user-friendly. Um, I don't find that platform really useful, especially with, like, the way that it, people comment on it just so rapidly on the side. And you have to, like, go through your settings to change that. But we're just, we're just a tech podcast now. That's what we are. I mean... I want Reddit streams, but I want people to know about it. Yeah. And except I don't want people to actually know about Reddit streams because then it'll get shut down. Right. (laughs) Which I'm very nervous about. Yeah. Yeah. I I think that I have just, I've started thinking more and more about how much this really is just like a business. And like, that's what, that's what it is. And it is what it is. What are you, what are you going to do? We've bought into it at this point. Um, I, I understand that. I'm going to have to pay some sort of money to someone to be able to watch it. But when you, when you start to see it in those terms, a lot of the decisions that MLB makes start to make a lot more sense. So that's just been my general viewing experience of postseason baseball. And, and the product itself has been incredibly enjoyable once I'm able to actually, you know, watch the game. Counterpoint. What if we just made baseball free? And it was subsidized by the U.S. government. America's I mean, pastime, baby. 
nationalized baseball is literally our 2020 like our platform at this point. <laughs> yeah, honestly. Okay, let's move right. on. What's on your list this week? On my list this week first is a guy that we talked a lot about at the beginning of this this podcast, not this specific episode, but the beginning of the run of this podcast 2017 uh, when he moved to the Yankees in the offseason, and that's Giancarlo Stanton. Uh, when this trade happened, you and I hyped it up as the Evil Empire is back. They've gone and gotten an MVP on the cheap, and he's going to slot right into the Yankees outfield and just mash home runs the way that he did in Miami. And maybe even more so because if he ever goes opposite field with a pop-up, it'll just go out in Yankee Stadium. It hasn't really worked out like that. He was bad for the first two months of his first season as a Yankee. And he's been hurt for most of this year. And last night I was watching game two of Yankees Astros. And it's just such a bummer to watch someone who is so physically gifted in the way that he is just like this. You look at him. He's a very obviously impressive athlete. You understand why he's so good at what he's good at. And to watch him just repeatedly get these injuries, like he has a hamstring injury right now, which is the reason that he was out of game two. and ostensibly will be a DH if he returns in this series because he can't really play the outfield right now. And even running the bases is a sketchy proposition for him with this injury. And it just seems like a series of unfortunate, untimely injuries for him since his like amazing 58 home run season or 59, however many it ended up being. And that's just such a, that's a downer because We've talked at the top of this show about how stacked the Astros are. You'd, I'd love to see Giancarlo Stanton out in the outfield, and maybe instead of Brett Gardner or instead of a hurt Aaron Hicks or anything. Like I just want to see these teams at their fullest. And specifically speaking, for a guy like Stanton, it just doesn't feel fair for him to work that hard on his body, be that athletic and that naturally gifted at swinging a baseball bat and to have these stupid little injuries to his tendons and whatever it ends up being. Like, that's just, that's a super downer, man. Yeah, <laughs> that's a it's a good way of putting it. It is absolutely a downer. Now, um, my counterpoint to that is, uh, is something that our beloved Mike Francesa tweeted out last night, which is, quote, I have no patience, no tolerance for Stanton being hurt again. It is the ALCS. It isn't May. It is October. End quote. Um, to, to which I say, yeah, why the hell did Giancarlo Stanton have to go and purposefully injure himself again? I mean, oh, it's not May. He, it says it right there in the tweet. It is October. That is the month. And and you can't injure yourself uh, on purpose this time of year. If you want to injure yourself on purpose in May, it's fine. But uh, I I don't know. I have I have no patience for it either. Maybe stop taking a taking a hammer to your quad, Giancarlo Stanton. Ever think about that? I'm just imagining Mike Francesa in the WFAN offices, just yelling at the microphone. But his producer hasn't put the on air on yet. Like he's just yelling like. Open the calendar app. Open it. It's <laughs> October. It's not May. Just but no one is hearing it. He's just yelling it and they're just recording it and playing it back for him. You know? Yes, exactly. 
<laughs> just needs um, to, Mike just needs to tire himself out. He's going to be fine. We'll get him on the air in a couple hours. <laughs> I I absolutely believe that Mike just keeps going. Like once they've stopped recording, you know, like he's got another hour or two just left. Redoes the segment like in the mirror at home, and, and they keep his wife the is like, "Please, on, your grandchildren, like they don't even get to talk to you." <laughs> Oh, uh, I hope I hope Mike is doing okay this October, um, and and I hope that Giancarlo Stanton is doing okay too. Because as you as you said, it's a joy to watch him play baseball and to to work this hard, especially under the spotlight of the New York media. And and he's a yeah, he's a hunk, man. He is just I don't know how he does the things that he does, but when he's doing them, it is bliss. To watch it really is and a hunk is a great way to describe him i hope that he is a hunk without his yankees over shirt on and actually playing in the baseball game tomorrow night uh we'll see uh what's second on your list um second on my list is more juiced ball content obviously because can't go a week without talking about it um i saw i believe it was joe sheehan tweeting last night about the the juice ball theory and theorizing that while the balls may be different, we as an audience, as sports writers, whoever we are as consumers of the sport are giving major league baseball far too much credit for switching the baseballs intentionally, that they have done nothing to prove that they would be competent enough to actually do the switch. So whether or not the baseballs are actually different to suggest that Major League Baseball orchestrated this um, is just absolutely unbelievable. And it's not, he's not the, the first or the last person to float this idea, but he's by far one of the more prominent writing for uh, Sports Illustrated and, and Baseball America. And I think my only response to that is that the suggestion that the balls are switched and Major League Baseball doesn't know almost feels like a, a bigger conspiracy theory than yeah. Major League Baseball knowing. Neither of the outcomes are good. There's There isn't a scenario in which we as viewers say, oh, okay, yeah, that makes sense. But I feel like the discourse around all the juiced ball stuff has gotten so muddied at this point that I I just don't know how you can't like take a step back from everything and say, oh yeah, Major League Baseball is the ones who makes them. The balls are obviously different. So they have to know, right? Like, am I, am I missing something here? Am I wrong with that? Well, I don't know if the argument is necessarily that they don't know, but I don't, I think the argument, if you're going to defend major league baseball is that they don't know why, like they understand the result, but they can't quite put their finger on the exact scale of what's pushing it up and pushing it down. And that they didn't know it wasn't premeditated, right? Like they didn't intend for the home run rate to go up, but they were maybe, maybe they were slower to act once they realized that it did or maybe they just didn't want to make a radical adjustment in the middle of the season. Like if you're going to say, I think you and I both 
I guess I will speak for myself. And then I personally believe that that there was inconsistency in the manufacturing of the ball and that they were made aware of this and they just allowed it to go on. It's kind of like the whole deflate gate thing in football where like Tom Brady wanted the balls to be deflated. So he knew they were being deflated by the trainer and it was like a wink and a nod kind of situation. And so obviously MLB wants more offense because ostensibly like Manfred has said that over and over again. So I don't really think that there's a logical argument to be made that MLB has no idea what's going on with the ball because we as a public know what's going on with the ball based on public information and public writing that's on the internet. And it would be wrongheaded to think that Rob Manfred doesn't see that and internalize that in some way and that it factors into his decision-making. I just think that he's weighed the options here and that no one is holding him accountable for the ball. And so he's just allowing it to continue to go on and he's telling them, don't change the manufacturing process now. Don't go back to the dead ball now. People will really notice. Except that in the playoffs, I I literally don't have an explanation for it. Except for the fact that like, like I said last week, I think they actually just ran out of juiced balls. Like the backlog of baseballs are just no longer juiced. Like what can I say? Like that's what it feels like. It would be it would be an insane cover up and an insane story for it to eventually come out that Manfred was like, juice them during the regular season, unjuice them during the playoffs, completely fuck with competitive balance and integrity and turn all the players against me. Like he would lose his job for that. He would I think he would literally have to resign as commissioner of baseball. There would be fucking congressional hearings probably over some stupid shit with the ball because at at some point it's a labor issue. He's providing an environment that is inconsistent for the players and can actually affect how much money pitchers make in arbitration based on their statistics. Some pitchers versus other pitchers, fly ball pitchers versus ground ball pitchers. Like to not be transparent about that and to act with intentionality to change the ball at his whim, I think would be cause for removing him. But I don't really know how the actual CBA is structured, so I don't know if they could remove him or if the owners would have to sign off on it. But it's a big old cover up going on, you know, and there has to be some punchline at the end of all of this. Well, and I think what makes it even sketchier is the increasingly close ties between Major League Baseball and and the gambling business, because if you start to realize that Major League Baseball has control over the scoring environment and they are also basically directly profiting off of something, whether it's DraftKings or it's you know, the, the conversations they're having with bookies in Las Vegas. I, I mean, a lot of this stuff feels like we're, we're just not qualified to talk about it because it's way over, I think most of the casual viewers head, but uh, something tells me that this will absolutely not be the last that we hear of this, that it will, uh, the story feels like it's only going to get bigger. Can you imagine if like we trace the money through some offshore account and like Rob Manfred has just been hammering the under on the playoffs all, all, all month long. He's just hammering the under for the total run scored in each game. And he's just making millions off of this shit. (laughs) I mean, do we think that like, 
God, we're just going off the rails now. I don't, I would buy him doing that. <laughs> I, nothing that he has done in his tenure tells me he's smart enough to not. So, uh, so Rob, show us the receipts. Here we go. Okay. I'm going to move on before we get indicted. This is, this, uh, this whole podcast is parody. I'm just, I'm just putting that out there. And I think that, um, that's how that works. Yeah, exactly. We're not liable for anything said on this podcast. Uh, what's up next? Okay. Up next is, um, sort of another nebulous concept, which, uh, I, I was thinking about this this morning on my, my way into work, uh, because I was getting frustrated over just the the overflow of takes about Aaron Boone, you know, and we talked a little bit about that with Bradford and, you know, I've been tweeting incessantly about it, but like the information overflow that we're experiencing as baseball fans right now is kind of unprecedented as it goes for sports. Like in the history of mankind playing sports, we have never had more information about any sport publicly than we have about baseball right now. And sometimes I like to just sit down and think about that and how that affects our and the greater public's viewership because everybody feels like they have the conclusive answer when a strategy goes wrong and they feel like they have the ability to prove why or why not the the manager should have been employing that strategy in that specific instance. And I don't think that there's been a much of a better example than Aaron Boone because last year, I think the criticism of him was that he left his starters in too long. He trusted them too much. And this year, the criticism of him is that he's pulling them too early in games and he's relying too much on the bullpen. And I'm like, well, you know, we've already debunked that theory because they held the Astros to three runs. The Astros, the second greatest offense of all time by WRC plus, they held them to three runs over 11 innings, which is incredible. And, I just find it increasingly frustrating that everyone feels like in the downtime between innings or pitching changes or whatever, they need to fire their takes off off of like one baseball reference or fan graphs query that they ran. It's like, dude, the teams are operating with more information than you are. Okay. If every team was operating under what you can find via your Google search, the other teams would be picking off their strategies left and right. So like their internal statistics analytics the manager assessing what players feeling at what day like we just need to take it down a notch because the information overload i think is actually turning people off from baseball and it's turning me off from listening to people talk about baseball honestly so i hope it's not turning our listeners off from wanting to listen to us talk (laughs) it's it's funny that you that you say that because i i think of an article that we uh that we did a dramatic reading of on this podcast maybe earlier this season or or last off season um that might have been by Joel Sherman although don't hold me to that about how all the the analytics in baseball are <laughs> turning fans away because they just don't understand any of it and i i i think that they those are very distinct points because I think that baseball fans want to and actively try to engage with statistics old and new. And what can I think rustle some feathers or rub people the wrong way is that idea that 
everyone is the the smartest person in the room. Um, yes, it, it's not necessarily fans getting turned away by by sports writers using war or something like that. It is maybe fans getting uh, turned off by other fans employing these same strategies and and not necessarily knowing how to do it. And I think that part of that falls not necessarily on the media itself, but on institutions like Major League Baseball to actually effectively communicate to viewers how to best put these concepts to use. Because I think that all of us can probably do a better job of of communicating the the statistics and the numbers that we're talking about. Um, but I think you're right in that it has made everyone fit because you can pull up fan graphs and, and look at a list of the war leaderboards or strikeout percentage leaderboards or whatever, or, or you can look at Garrett Cole's FIP and be like, well, he, he shouldn't have been this good or he should have been better. A- and, this is not an analytics are bad take from me. This right. is a, yes, this yes. is a, we're losing the forest for the trees and the forest is baseball playoff baseball. And the trees are fucking whip in the seventh inning, you know, like it's playing out on a smaller sample size. than these numbers matter. Okay. What your take about what should have been done literally cannot be proved to be right or wrong because there aren't enough innings. So just let it go. Just watch yeah. the game. Just enjoy well, Carlos Correa's fucking bat flip and stop talking about how Aaron Boone needs to leave James Paxton in so that he can prove that he's a fucking man. Like, it's dumb. Yeah, well, I and going back to the Dodgers National Series, when Clayton Kershaw came in and blew it, obviously, people are like, well, he's not good in the first inning. And it's like that <laughs> you you can't just you can't just draw a line between these two things. You can't just say that he's not good in the first inning and therefore that's why he had this blow up. Like sometimes like it's baseball just happens, right? And you you cannot explain it through any sort of analytics. Like the ball just bounces the wrong way and that's and that's just how shit goes. It's literally the beauty of postseason baseball. Yeah. All right, Alex. Let's close this out. What is the third thing that you're adding to your list this week? All right. The third thing that I'm adding to my list this week is actually a callback to something that I had on here uh, a couple months ago. Uh, our, our dear friend, Bernie Sanders, uh, we, we all know, played a game at the Field of Dreams in Iowa a little while back. And I can't I was, believe that happened. I can't believe that happened also. That just feels like I saw that and I was like, no, that's not the real one, is it? That's not the rough. algorithm is <laughs> tricking me. <laughs> um anyway, fully recovered from his heart attack that he just had recently. I hope he's resting up. I hope he's doing better. But he uh I, I was quite harsh in my scouting report on him following that uh that game at the field of dreams yeah you were mean i was i was very mean but you know what i'm gonna i'm gonna go ahead and rescind that because just this past week he posted a video on twitter uh with the caption playoff baseball comes to our backyard 
And it looks like one of those like scouting report videos, those like scouting videos that you send out to uh, like major league scouts, you know, when you're trying to get drafted. And, uh, and he looks good. Like I would, I would let him hit fungo to me. Like he, <laughs> like he's flying open a little bit, but he's got the launch angle down. I'm not, I'm not kidding. It looks like he's maybe playing, uh, playing in his backyard with one of his grandkids, but, I think if we were doing a a draft of presidential candidates who we want on our baseball team, like he he might be first overall. I mean, he's the only one that we have definitive proof that he even knows the rules of baseball. Well, right? I mean, Pete Buttigieg is anti DH, so he's last on my list. I, he may have to be umpire in my book because forgot, that's just yeah. it's no good. I forgot that I was voting for him because of that, <laughs> because yeah, of that revelation. Are. Anyway, um, uh, I, I really, it looks like Bernie has bought into the launch angle revolution. He's, yeah, I was going to say he's been in the cage. He's been in the cage. Working on that upper swing. Working with Justin Turner, Josh Donaldson. I, uh, I really want to know who he's pulling for in the playoffs. I know that there aren't, uh, there aren't many, if any professional baseball teams in Vermont. So, uh, so I'm curious who he's bandwagoning. So uh, Bernie, hit us up. Let us know. You can be our our third consecutive guest if you want. He's from Brooklyn. It feels like he's definitely rooting for the Yankees, but right? It, but it wouldn't. It, uh, yeah, I was just about to say the Dodgers, but that they're not in they're, Brooklyn. They, well, no, but I feel like <laughs> they're no, not I, in the playoffs. Either. They're not in the playoffs. <laughs> would have been my my excuse, but it feels like he's probably a Dodgers fan, right? Like, yeah, he, probably. Or maybe maybe he just drops the loyalty when they move, which like I don't blame him. Like I, if your baseball team just like abandoned you and your town, like you have you have no vested interest in them anymore. Like they just they they scorned you. I I, I wouldn't blame him if Bernie was just a Yankees fan though. I think I would probably stick with my baseball team if they left, though it would depend on what circumstances. And uh, I don't know. Maybe over time I could get over it, but. I would find it weird not to root for the Mets, even if they were in like Topeka. I don't know. <laughs> Can you imagine if the Mets moved to Los Angeles? I just set a trend. The Mets came out here as well. That would be great. You I would love that. You set a trend. The Mets were yeah. like, hey, this Bobby kid moved to LA. Maybe we should too. I got news for you. I announced I was moving to Los Angeles. A week later, LeBron signed with the Lakers. Okay. Wow. A year later, the Lakers traded for Anthony Davis and Kawhi Leonard and Paul George signed with the Clippers. What's good? LA's the new spot. When are you moving here? Okay. Just, Can we just, do my third one? <laughs> just anything that happens in LA from here on out is because it's of you. I think that's how that works. <laughs> well, right. if you move here, you can take over that title belt. So anything that happens after you move here will then be because of you. Oh. You're like the most recent, you're the most recent pull to the city <laughs> of Los Angeles. It just revolves around the two of us. That's it. Literally. This okay. is our podcast. What's the last thing on your list this week? It's Smoltz season, baby. Yeah, it is. It is John Smoltz season. And he is here in full motherfucking force. He did not learn any lessons from last year. No one at Fox. No one in MLB. Not Joe Buck. Nobody. Not A-Rod. Not David Ortiz. Nobody has given him a heads up to be like, stop being a dickhead about the baseball that you're literally talking about for your profession. Nobody has given him that tip or they've given him that tip and he hasn't followed it. In which case nobody has fired him. 
So we are left with John Smoltz's voice in our ears for all of October. And frankly, we are all much worse for it. I know Bradford said that he uh, he comes down on the John Smoltz side of things when it comes to pitcher usage. And frankly, I do as well. I love starters. However, I do not love just lamenting the state of the game at every single opportunity possible for you to speak. So I'm not, I'm not into it, Alex. Yeah. And I think that there is a distinction between saying what is being played on the field is not necessarily like the best product or the most engaging thing that we as fans want to see in 2019. Like that's a, that's a completely fair point. I also want to see James Paxton or Garrett Cole or Justin Verlander, whoever one of these generational aces are, I want to see them go and pitch as much and as long as possible. But to, to just talk about like, it's almost a meme at this point, right? Like to just fall back on things were better in my day. Like we've moved past this, John, we know things were better in your day. Like find a new bent. At this point, find a new slant. I was <laughs> waiting to say that. <laughs> like honestly, I was uh, I was watching the game early on on my TV, and for whatever reason, through the Fox Sports app, I, they don't show me any commercials. And so, what you get in between innings is just kind of like the the camera on the field, and the audio is silent for most of the time. But the first time I realized that I wasn't getting any commercials was the time that I just heard someone in the broadcast booth give a big old yawn. I'm not kidding. This man was tired. I do not know why. (laughs) But I can almost guarantee you that it is just John Smoltz just tired of seeing two generational baseball teams play off against each other because... Dude, it's game two. It's game two. Yeah. I just... I guess I'm just curious, like, if you don't like what you're watching, why would you want to spend all of your time talking about it? Is the is the answer just like maybe he does like it? You know, maybe he's just one of those people that just enjoys being a cynic so much that everything that he's watching unfold before him, he has to kind of pick apart. Frankly, I think that's a little exhausting, but like more power to you, I guess. Speak your truth, John Smoltz, but maybe just Maybe we should put John Smoltz and Mike Francesa in a radio booth that nobody turns on. How about that? <laughs> you know what? I I think on that point alone, I can relate to John Smoltz because you and I watch baseball day in and day out. And then we sit down and for an hour or two, we just talk about the parts that we hate. <laughs> <laughs> and, and why it could be so much better. So honestly, this is just like horseshoe theory in action. Us and John Smoltz were the exact same people. Frankly, what you're saying is that John Smoltz should come on our podcast. He should. That would, would we need have? a roundtable of like John Smoltz and Mike Francesa and uh, I don't know, anyone who's played the greatest hits over the last couple of years. I'm not entirely sure that I have the audacity to interview John Smoltz on this podcast. Like, we talk tough, but if John Smoltz got on the line, I'd be like, thank you, Mr. Smoltz. Thank you for destroying the Mets for two decades. I appreciate it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I agree with that. We we talk tough when we're behind a computer screen. Mike Frances, on the other hand, let's get it. I got the guts. We could take him. 
<laughs> you just have to drone on long enough and he'll just fall asleep. Like that's really all it takes to defeat him. <laughs> Somebody switch out his Diet Coke with water. <laughs> There's a town where it's carved into the earth. All right. Thank you again to Bradford for coming on chatting Yankees chatting the things that he tries to get excited about with the Cardinals but fails at um, and just chatting covering baseball playoffs in general is a lot of fun um, like maybe we should just make a habit of this you know just uh, bringing on people to talk about baseball and all we have to do is sit there and listen and laugh when they're funnier and more knowledgeable than us <laughs> Yeah, I see why other podcasts are so successful at this. Obviously, we hope you are listening to this uh, right as game three for the ALCS is starting. Um, And we will be back at some point. uh, hmm. (laughs) In the next week or so, um, we'll try to schedule it around that, uh, that little thing called the World Series. Um, and uh, if there's anything that you think we've missed so far or if anything crazy happens between the the Cardinals and the Nats or the Yankees and the Astros we are as always open to suggestions and we appreciate them so 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 much right Alex? <laughs> so so much um, okay thank you for everyone for listening and we'll talk to you soon thanks y'all